Welcome to the 14th episode of Leading in a Climate Changed World from Olivia Mithadram. In this episode, we speak to author, activist and adventurer Anna Hughes. Anna's experience with campaign in sustainable travel, notably aviation, is the focus of much of the episode. She talks about her campaign to sign people up to a flight-free 2020 and the difficulties the campaign faces to overcome the social norms surrounding air travel. Robin and Anna discuss ways to break the habit of unsustainable practices and how to ensure actions speak louder than words by finding alternative measures to some of the harmful methods employed in the world of business. They talk about countries and individuals who are trying to find solutions to help minimise air travel and what needs to be done on a governmental and organisational level. UK listeners can find out more about Anna's campaign by visiting flightfree.co.uk and we'll put up some more info on the website leadinginaclimatechangeworld.com. Please get in touch with us if you've got any feedback at all and enjoy the episode. Over to Robin and Anna. So welcome everybody to our series of podcasts on leading in a climate changed world. Today we're delighted to be talking to Anna Hughes. Anna is an author, adventurer and environmental campaigner. She's written three books about cycle touring, including Eat Sleep Cycle, about her 4,000 mile bike ride around the coast of Britain. She has also sailed around the same coastline. And Anna has been a spokesperson on sustainable transport for many years and writes about sustainability and the measures we can take in our own lives to reduce our carbon footprint. She set up Flight Free UK in February 2019 and is currently director of the campaign. So welcome, Anna. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to talk with you. And maybe you could just tell us a little bit initially about what Flight Free UK is, how you came to set it up, what the challenges have been for you in, in living a kind of flight-free existence. Yeah, so we, um, so the Flight Free campaign is asking 100,000 people to pledge not to fly next year. So specifically, we're running something called Flight Free 2020, which is actually an international campaign. There are quite a few other countries that are running it, um, mostly Sweden because that's where the inspiration came from. Um, so as, um, as you said in the introduction, it started in February this year. Um, and it started because I, I was listening to a, an interview with a lady called Maya, who's um, the leader of the Swedish campaign, about the, um, the m- movement in Sweden to uh, reduce flying. And I thought that sounds like a really good thing and um, I'd like to set something similar up in the UK. Um, so we're working in partnership now. And uh, the idea is that uh, because we're focusing on 100,000 people making the same pledge and making it just for a year, it's trying to inspire people that um, you can reduce the the amount you fly by taking on this challenge. So um, it's not saying you should never fly again. It's not saying, um, you know, flying in as a whole is bad, although there are many (laughs) indications to show that it is. So we can talk about that later. But um, it's just giving people that kind of parameter to say, right, could you take a year off? What other holidays can you go on? What other adventures can you find? Um, what other places can you um, go without getting on a plane? And if you have, if you succeed, then that kind of, the idea is that it opens up a whole new way of traveling or way of um, a, a kind of approach to the way we travel. So um, that's the idea. Um, and my motivation for doing it is, or for, for, taking on founding the um, the UK version of the campaign is that I have been an environmentalist for a very long time. 
I haven't flown myself for more than a decade and I have always been very content in my own personal uh, actions to be as sustainable as I can but actually now we are in climate emergency now we have been given the warnings by the IPCC that this is crunch time I thought okay it's no longer any it's no longer good enough just to do my own thing. I need to be encouraging others to do the same. So um, that's where the whole motivation for starting the campaign came from. Brilliant. And how are you getting on with the target of 100,000 so far? Well, we're still not quite there yet. <laughs> um, we are we're edging towards 4,000. So, um, okay. yeah, it's quite a slow start, um, which is a little bit disappointing. But we, um, we're going to continue collecting pledges for the rest of this year and the whole of next year, of course. So we still have time, um, I hope, to make an impact. Um, we're making a real impact in terms of media and conversation. So I'm, I'm asked very often to uh, speak on the radio or comment to articles, um, contribute to articles, sorry, or be on the TV. So I'm going to be on Sky News later today. <laughs> um, so there is um, loads of... The, the the conversation is being had and actually that's most of what we want you know it yes it is about the pledges but it's it's mostly about getting the conversation out there and and having this as an issue that people are becoming more increasingly aware of right but as Greta Thunberg might say we've had a lot of words but we also need actions right so, oh, so what, yeah. what do you think is the main thing that stops people translating kind of an interesting conversation with you into making a pledge why don't they do that? I think a lot of it is to do with social norms. So we think that we need aviation. We think that we need to fly. Um, and I always struggle when people say, oh, but I need to fly for work. Oh, but I need to fly for whatever family member. Well, we don't need to. We choose to. So um, I would argue that um, very few of our flights are actually necessary. Um, it's so a lot of it is the social norm and that's one of the things we're trying to shift so um by getting a mass movement so a hundred thousand people yes it's not very many in the grand scheme of the population of the uk but it's a significant number enough to make um to be a visual uh campaign um and it's it would perhaps start to shift that uh, conversation and shift the habit of people. So, and, it, and it's working, you know, in Sweden where it has been established longer, there was an 8% drop in flight bookings earlier this year. So uh, movements like this do work. And that's, that's what we need to do because I think a lot of us fly because those are the options that we're presented with. We're, we're, when we book a holiday, the first thing that comes up is, is how to book your flight. Um, when we talk about going away, the assumption is that we've travelled by plane. Um, and if you don't travel by plane, everyone's very surprised, you know. So it's definitely a social thing. And it's, it used to be true for me. I, I, um, I've done my first year of flying and I, my sister lives in Jersey and I used to travel there by plane because that's how you get to Jersey because it's over the sea. Whereas actually, just as well get a boat and it's fine. So um, yeah, it's definitely about shifting the social norm. Yeah, I totally agree with that. And, and of course, there have been whole lifestyles grown up and, and careers that are built around being able to travel a lot. Yeah. So I wonder what you say to people like me, actually. I mean, I definitely carry a kind of guilt and shame around the amount that I fly. I fly for my work. I kind of convince myself that it's a good thing to do. Well, not a good thing to do, a necessary thing to do because yeah. you know, I've got a training program about waking up leaders 
and I need to deliver it in Florida and there's going to be <clears throat> 60 people for four days and I kind of need to go there and it's going to in the long term be a good thing to do and I offset my emissions mm -hmm. but I still feel I carry an internal conflict around it yeah but there's a whole lifestyle and kind of career in a way that's built around being available to people in different parts of the globe yeah so definitely. how it's, do you yeah. how, how should I work with that really well that's a very tricky part of it because as you say, we, you know, we live in a globalized society now. Uh, we can't put the genie back in the bottle in terms of aviation. We can't just pretend that, that, we, that it's not a, um, an integral part of our current society. Um, as you say, lots of jobs are reliant on aviation. Um, and that's, that's not just the individuals who fly for work. It is the tourist um, tourism um, industries in certain countries, which um, fairly difficult to access by other means. So um, that's all part of it. I feel like aviation isn't the only industry that offers jobs and tourism isn't, um, flying is not the only way to get to places. So I think if we kind of turn the whole thing on its head and start to just look at it in a different way, we can find ways to be sustainable while appreciating the value of living in a, a globalized society and you know, having, having access to a, a, a large part of the world. Yeah, I think I would definitely, I mean, I definitely agree with the, the, the basic kind of thrust of what you're doing. And I also, and I also really feel there's a lot of wisdom in saying, give it up for a year and see how it feels. Yeah. So you're not trying to get people to pledge that like, I'm going to stop flying forever. Exactly, but it's like, yeah. how does it, how does it feel to break the habit? And maybe you learn that actually you don't need to fly much at all. Maybe you learn that you do need to make some flights. Maybe you learn something in that process. I think yeah. there's a lot of wisdom in that. Yeah, I think that's one of the ways we're trying to frame it. So it's because it's rising to a challenge, it's just, you know, um, it's just that set year. And having that is quite attractive to many people as a package. Um, it's like Veganuary. You try veganism by being vegan for a month. And that perhaps influences the rest the, the rest of your year. Maybe you're not fully vegan the whole time, but you know you you you, you understand that it's actually possible, um, and that's part of it. Understanding that it is possible to be successful when you don't fly, um, and if you are if you have this kind of absolute pledge, so right, I've pledged not to fly in 2020. Oh my goodness, I have to have this work conference. Right, what am I going to do instead? Um, rather than just saying, oh, I want to reduce my flights, but there's this work conference, so I'm going to go. You know, it, it really sort of catalyzes it and, and hopefully it's a, it's a bit of a springboard for that, for that to translate into action. Yeah, I think it's a really interesting strategy. And why did you particularly choose flying? Is it because you think that the, the emissions from aviation is the thing to focus on or it's just a particular thing that you're passionate about? Or um, Yeah, it really is. And we try to underestimate the, um, the impact of aviation, but it's kind of inarguable, really. Um, I was woken up to this, I suppose, 10 years ago when um, The Age of Stupid came out and I watched it and I, that was one of the things, that was one of the catalysts to me saying, right, I'm not doing that anymore. I don't want to be part of the problem. Um, the, the problem with aviation is that because it's only responsible for between two and 5% of global greenhouse emissions, we can, we can um, just put it in the corner and pretend it's not a problem because comparative to animal agriculture, let's say, which is 15% of global emissions, it seems like a small percentage. So, you know, is it that much of a problem? Uh, but we have to remember that the reasons why the figures are that uh, uh, as they are is because 
for um, agriculture, everybody eats, everybody needs to eat. For um, aviation, less than 10% of the global population has ever been on a plane. And for us here in the West, who do fly a lot, and we Brits fly the most out of any other nation, um, the, those flights will add the biggest chunk to your carbon footprint. So there is no way, no other way that your carbon footprint will increase over so short a space of time and by so much as taking a flight. So even if you take those other measures to be environmentally friendly, for example, by being vegan, which um, is, a, is a, an excellent thing to be doing and we all need to be doing it. Um, I'm vegan, I'm very happily vegan and I've been vegan for a long time. Um, but that will save perhaps one ton of carbon from my carbon footprint as opposed to a meat heavy diet. Um, whereas if I were to fly to Tenerife, that would be the equivalent. So you know, one flight can wipe out all the savings that you've made in other areas. It's really interesting also that you said that Britain has the highest number of kind of flights per capita. Why, why is that, do you think? Why do we fly more in Britain than anywhere else? I don't know, actually. Um, it was a recent study that came out with that information that said we Brits fly more than anyone else. Um, maybe it's because we feel that we hate the weather here so much and we have to get to our sunny destination on a regular basis. Uh, maybe it's because we live on an island, so we assume the only way to get off it is to go by air. Um, you know, uh, those two are perhaps one of two mm -hmm. of the things, but it is also just cultural. You know, we, um, we do, uh, we fly because everybody flies and it, it's just a normal thing to do. So where do you stand on the whole offsetting question? Because, you know, some people, I, I, I mean, in a way it's easier to, to imagine, if I think of myself, it's easier to imagine myself not flying for leisure, for holidays, for sure. You know, I also love cycling and cycle around Scotland and other places and have wonderful walking holidays on the southwest coastal path in Devon and Cornwall. I'm great. I don't need to really travel far for a holiday. Yep. But I feel like sometimes I need to travel for my work and then I offset. And I know that the offsetting is... is Certainly not as good as reducing my emissions <laughs> in the first place, but I wonder where you stand on offsetting and if you feel like there are some offsets that are really much more helpful than others, or do you advise people about offsetting, for example, or you just think it's a bad thing? Well, on behalf of the campaign, we don't advise on offsetting because it's very problematic, as you've just sort of hinted at. Um, I think we, and as you said as well, the most reliable way to reduce emissions is to cut them, you know, fly less. Um, I think Jonathan Porritt said it quite nicely, um, which is once you have done absolutely everything you can to change your lifestyle and um, make all the changes in, your, in the way you live to be as sustainable as you possibly can, then you offset the rest. So it's not about using offsetting as a replacement for changes you can make, um, or for reduction rather. Um, Oh, offsetting schemes are really problematic. I think there have been studies to show that 85% of them don't do anything. Um, and all they do is a sway. When you say don't do anything, what do you mean by that? Um, they're not effective in the way that that is advertised. So um, it's, it's, I think there have been a couple people, of, Do you mean people are, are kind of saying we're going to plant trees and then they don't, or that the trees don't grow, or...? Um, I think they're a mixture of things, actually. So yeah, I mean, one of the problems is definitely that trees don't grow. Um, you, you feel like you've planted a tree, so that's it. Your flight is there, therefore carbon neutral, whereas trees take a long time to grow and there's no guarantee that they'll survive and how many carbon credits are currently burning in the Amazon rainforest. Um, but um, so yeah, tree planting schemes are, um, can be problematic. But also I think some of the schemes that are perhaps not effective are um, 
money going to support schemes that are already in existence, whereas, so that's not offsetting, that's just putting money in the pockets of people who would otherwise be doing that scheme. It, it's a little bit complicated, um, but I mean, the, the technical idea behind offsetting is that your, the direct emissions from your flight or whatever activity it is, are directly compensated for in exactly the same measure as an activity that you have paid to happen. And if that activity would already have taken place, then that's not offsetting. If that activity doesn't um, absorb the relevant amount of carbon dioxide, that's not offsetting. And yeah, I mean, emissions from flights, are they, they are emitted now, you know, right at the moment of taking that flight. So throwing money at something that may or may not happen in the future is not really going to help. But the danger with it is, and I think this is the main reason why we don't promote it officially, is because for many people, not probably for you or for the people who may, maybe follow Jonathan Porritt's advice, but for many people it is just a a fix it is oh great my flight is now carbon neutral so i'm going to continue to fly yeah i get that it can it can lull us into a full sense of complacency in a way definitely yeah yeah so i wonder if we could pivot a little bit to the question of leadership yeah and, and see also kind of are there countries that are leading around this are there people that inspire you around around this topic like where do you see the leadership that we need at the moment around the climate emergency in general, but maybe specifically also around flying, but also we can also broaden the, the conversation into the climate emergency in general. Where, where do you see kind of seeds of hope and, and particularly around leadership? Yeah, so I think that you've mentioned one already, Greta Thunberg. I think she's a very obvious example of a, of a leader in this debate, um, especially for aviation, because she famously sailed across the uh, Atlantic Ocean to attend climate talks in the UN, uh, US. Sorry, um, and I liked one of the things she said while she was doing it, which is, uh, "Not flying isn't just about your own emissions. It sends a message that the climate crisis is real." And I think that's the important thing. We can talk about this as much as we like. Um, I mean, we need to talk about it more. One of the problems is that we don't talk about it enough. Um, but we need to um, actions speak far louder than words and that's been the case for you know everybody knows that um and it's true it's um i have spoken to many people who say i um i have been influenced by my um an academic professor who is telling me that I should reduce my carbon footprint and he's telling me that one of the ways to do that is to fly less but he flew to get here to tell me that so it can't be that bad right okay so and I've spoken to quite a lot of people who say well the message I give is more important than them um, or outweighs the amount of flying I do well actually your message would probably be a lot stronger if you didn't fly if you took the action that you're advocating um, now there are two other notable people who go along these lines so Kevin Anderson, he is a climate scientist. He works at the Tyndall Center for Climate Research. Um, and he has long been advocating for not flying and he hasn't flown for, for many years. And I think he was one of the, um, um, one of the pioneers here. Um, and he was saying it when it just wasn't trendy. I think, you know, this campaign started at a good time. People are actually listening now. Um, so yeah, he's been banging the drum for a long time. But also um, one of his... Um, I think one of his students or um, anyway someone who's inspired by him is a, a, um, a research professor at Southampton University Roger Tyers who recently traveled to China on a field trip by train so he spent two weeks on a train 
not something that many of us would be able to do, but he just felt that he couldn't go to China to speak, to do climate change research and speak to people about the actions they can take on climate change after having phone there. He just would have lost his credibility. And I think it was very powerful, the stuff that he wrote about it. So if people want to look him up, it's Roger Tyers UK on Twitter. And he's, he's written a fair few articles about the issue, um, about his trip and about generally um, carbon offsetting and um, the flight culture. Um, he writes for The Conversation quite a lot. So um, he's, uh, yeah, those are a couple of people who I think leading by example and leading with your actions is is very powerful and very effective as well right so they're great examples so these are what we would call symbolic actions that that, that have a, a a kind of multiplier effect we would hope mm -hmm. and do you feel there's any political leadership around this like where are we with the whole argument about taxing airline fuel and you know there's a kind of subsidy that makes it cheaper to fly than to take the train do you have a political arm in a way to your campaign also? And, and, and just I'm wondering where you see any political leadership that might be supporting this direction. Yes, well, we hope to influence politics uh, because we understand that you cannot solve something just with one measure. So we're just one tiny piece of the jigsaw of reducing aviation levels. We're, we're going after the individual and trying to inspire people to change their own uh, habits. Um, we desperately need leadership from the government. We definitely need policies which make it easier for people to make a sustainable choice. So as you've just alluded to at the moment, it is quite a lot cheaper quite often to fly than it is to take equivalent forms of transport. Um, and that just is madness. It's madness that there's no tax on aviation fuel. That's something that the government is in charge of. Um, it's not okay that we, um, that, that greener forms of transport are much more expensive, especially because when we look at this, um, when we look at the, the purpose of flight, um, we see that I think a couple of years ago, 64% um, of flights were for leisure. Um, those are flights that can arguably be replaced, but is that the family one, one a year holiday that the family saved up for all year? Is that the kind of um, trip that we are saying, well, you can't do that anymore? Well, what are the alternatives? Perhaps that family can't afford to travel by train to the south of France. You know, I can afford to travel by train to the south of France, and I do. But um, it's, it's not, it, will this then become a social problem if we, we start to reduce um, the number of flights we're allowed to take, perhaps? Um, which is where the frequent flyer levy comes in because that means that um, the more flights you take the more expensive it is cumulatively and um, that's where a tax on aviation and a subsidy for greener forms of transport would also help massively so that means we're not penalizing the people who cannot afford to go on holiday um yeah so desperately desperately need that um is it, is it happening that, anywhere do you feel like there's any governments that are taking this on or any any movement that you're aware of in the uk around that um, the Green Party policy is for frequent flyer levy, and I don't know if the Lib Dems have that as well. I, it, um, it's not yet um, supported officially by Labour or the Conservatives. Um, I, that there are governments in other countries which are, are showing more leadership on this. So Sweden, of course, is one <laughs> that we can point to. So tell us a bit about what's happening in Sweden. Uh, yes, yeah, so mostly it's about taxation. Um, so they have 
I hire a PD, which is Air Passenger Duty, um, and they, I think there was a debate recently in Parliament when they were debating scrapping it, and then they decided not to, so that's a good thing. They were influenced by the movement of um, the consumer and their voters. So that's one of the things we're trying to um, gather, that one of the reasons why we're trying to gather so much support for this campaign, because if you can show that there's a big movement um, for of support for greener measures, then the government's more likely to implement it. Um, also, in terms of industry, uh, a Danish airline, KLM, have shown great leadership on this. So they have recently set out an advertising campaign, which first line is saying not to fly, <laughs> which is quite revolutionary for an airline to be telling their customers that they shouldn't be flying. Um, it's so like Patagonia it's, saying, don't buy clothes, right? <laughs> okay. Yeah, it's, um, it's, it's very refreshing that they're not greenwashing. That's the problem. There's so much greenwashing in industry and government. But those guys, actually, they're being genuine. So they're not just saying, oh, our, our flight, um, our fleet of airplanes is the greenest in Europe, which is oh, sick, sick, what, um, what um, Ryanair says. They, um, they are saying, okay, reducing aviation is actually legitimately green or genuinely green sorry and we need to do that so for your journey do you have to travel by plane could you travel by train instead um they also say could you meet online could you um yeah either not travel travel by other means or conduct your interview online or whatever the um so I wonder how I wonder how they managed. You said it was it's not KLM, not the Dutch airline KLM. It is KLM, yeah, the Dutch. Oh, KLM. Right. Oh, sorry, did I say Danish? You said Danish earlier, yeah. but no, you're that's right. interesting. Dutch. So how I wonder how they managed to square that with their shareholders, with their board. <laughs> saying, do you really need to buy our product? Because yeah, know, so we have to do everything we can to maximize our returns. So I'm not sure if I'm right here, but. I I think they also own a train line, so <laughs> I think they're okay along those with that. But yeah, yeah. but that's interesting also because that's maybe one of the ways for airlines to diversify is to say we're going to do lower carbon transport by actually investing in, in rail. Absolutely, wow. yeah. And um, one of the things as well with um, with the Swedes is that they, well, not just in Sweden, across Europe the airlines are quite worried about this whole flight shame movement that seems to be emerging. Um, and their, their response is to make themselves greener and hopefully not just appear to be greener, but actually take um, fast forward the measures to um, reduce the amount of kerosene or um, re uh, be more fuel efficient, um, those kinds of measures. So to attract customers because they're greener um, obviously we want people to fly less but if they do fly still it is far better if it's a more fuel efficient aircraft right and so maybe we'll just we'll close in a minute but I'm also interested around this question of shaming like what what do you think actually supports people to, in, in behavioral change do you think there is a role for shaming and feeling guilty or is it about painting a picture and giving people an experience of a of a better, greener future that they're happy about? Like what, what are, in your experience, are the key motivators around behavioral change? Yeah, so things work differently for different people. Generally, we're a positive campaign, so we are trying to do that painting the picture, as you say. So um, these are the alternatives to flying, and this is how much it benefits you. So 
slow travel is good for the soul. It's good for your work time. You know, you can spend hours working on a train, whereas you can't do the same if you're standing for hours in a queue at an airport. Um, so we're trying to sell it as a positive thing. And of course, for the environmental positives and the massive redu reduction in carbon emissions. Um, we also appreciate that there is the, the flight shame thing does have a part to play and some people really respond to that. So um, just to clarify, flight shame is the English interpretation of the word fleeskem, which is a Swedish word which emerged out of many people in Sweden deciding not to fly. And that was a result of the flight free campaign and also Greta Thunberg and a few celebrities saying, right, we're not flying anymore. So it's been kind of steadily evolving over the last few years. Um, it's definitely been jumped on by the media this year. Um, there are lots of anti-aviation anti campaigners in Sweden who don't like it. So it's not a, I think is often said, the, the flight shame movement in Sweden. Oh, well, it's not really, it's just a word that was invented by the media that seems to be kind of pushed. Um, but it's, it is definitely a, a, an internal feeling of responsibility, climate responsibility, and perhaps that guilt that you were speaking about at the very beginning um, that nudges you to taking fewer flights. Um, that can be positive because it can reduce your, the, the amount you fly. However, um, again, just to clarify, at no point is this flight shaming. It's about positive, but, but it, yeah, it depends who... Mm -hmm. Depends who's on the upper end of it. Right, I <laughs> understand. How it works. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you so much. I don't know if there's any last words you want to bring in, or maybe I can also ask you if people are inspired to join and make the pledge. How do they do that? Yeah, so um, our pledge site is www.flightfree.co.uk/pledge, and we're on Twitter at flightfree2020, and we're on Facebook, flightfreeuk. Um, so yeah, go and find out more. It's, it would be wonderful to have a boost in our pledges. We're, as we said, trying to reach 100,000 by the end of the campaign. And um, yeah, it's, it's part of a whole social movement and we're, trying, we're aiming to be really inspiring. So we hope that that's... Um, maybe that's just a, no, it's, it's great. I'm very inspired by it. And I really like the idea of, of, of experimenting <laughs> for a year. It feels much more achievable for me than making a kind of lifelong pledge that I will never fly again. Definitely, yeah. I'll definitely be talking with my... <laughs> well, we'd love to have you, Robin. <laughs> and the, the campaign just runs for a year. Um, so, yes. The, so, Flight Free 2020, obviously, that's running next year. So, we've, we've kind of started to, we've started to gather pledges with the intention of getting as many as possible before the year starts, but we'll still continue to, to, um, to get pledges next year and still continue the conversation. And then after that, um, we won't be running Flight Free 2021 or anything, but we'll probably be doing um, a more general um, year off campaign. So it will be your flight free year and you can choose what year it is and you can choose when it starts as well. So if it's like, okay, well, I, uh, my best friend got married and whatever, um, I'm going to start the year as soon as I get back from the wedding and I'm not going to fly for a whole year. And yeah, so, so that could be how, that's probably going to be how we market it. So we'll, we'll still be here. <laughs> we'll still be campaigning um, and hopefully still commentating and getting that conversation going. Great. Well, thank you so much for your time, Anna. And I know you've been talking to us from a cafe in Waltham Abbey. <laughs> yeah. So I guess you're off on your travels from somewhere. How are you traveling from, on, on from here? Where are you oh, heading? Well, actually, the reason I'm here is because I live on a narrow boat. So I, um, I'm li I live on the River Lee, um, ah. which actually behind me is the map of the Lee Valley. Oh, I know it well. 
yeah so that's where I am that's where my boat's moored <laughs> so yeah that's me I'll be boating off <laughs> well thanks very much again I'm very inspiring talking to you thanks for your time thanks Robin mm -hmm.